Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of January 20th, 2014. This is episode 218, and I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, or the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the show. With me today are Jackie Olson, account manager with Interval, and Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Doing well. A little snowed in today. We were going to have a uh, in-studio show, but then Mother Nature decided we weren't. Screwed us. And actually now it's like, <laughs> it's like totally sunny and fine out, which mm-hmm. is the- Is it? Yeah. Oh, totally. It's so fine. Adam's in his basement. So I know. I have- There's one window in the basement and it's the egress window over in the the bedroom. So I have no- I have no portal to the outdoors here. No means. That's why I'm pasty white. We were really cautious today with our weather, but it's okay. We're nice and toasty. Yes, and speaking of toasty, if you're listening to this on the day it posts, I'm in San Diego where it's really toasty. Don't rub it in. I'm looking out my hotel room and it's about 78 degrees and sunny and the ocean is beautiful and i'm just making all that up i'm still in minnesota but when you listen to this i may be there that all may be true now watch there'll be a typhoon or something yeah it'll be like 50 degrees san diego never gets hit by that stuff they've had fires but they've never had like hurricanes or anything isn't that weird i don't think you can have a hurricane on the pacific that's a typhoon right well whatever same thing (laughs) are they the same thing yeah they're the same thing but it depends on which ocean it's in, which uh, side of the country. I don't know if it's the side of our country, just the ocean. Um, yeah. Anything in the Atlantic is a hurricane. Anything in the Pacific is a typhoon. I think there might be some different names even elsewhere, like on other continents. I could be wrong about that. But I know for sure there's that distinction. A shitstorm? A <clears throat> complete shitstorm. <laughs> and the shifting of tectonic plates causes a tsunami? Yes. Okay. Yes, well, a tsunami there's your science is, lesson for the day, everyone. <laughs> a tsunami is when basically like there's like an earthquake under the ocean and a gap forms of some kind and sucks the water in. If I remember right, or something sucks the water back because of that, the pressure from the earthquake, the crack, whatever, pulls the water back in, down, and then it goes back out. And when it goes well, back it out, it a, like has a lot of power and goes further than it's supposed to. That could be. I thought it was just from the vibration, like right, right in the epicenter of wherever that was. There's that you know just massive vibration that just you know jostles the water in some violent fashion and, and creates the, the the beginning of the what will be a massive wave. But that is, I have no scientific evidence behind that uh, statement, so I could be very, I could be quite wrong. Okay. Well, Not to wh- get off base at all. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> we never do that. We were talking about San Diego and somehow digressed into <laughs> major it's <gonna> science. <laughs> I think That's it's awesome. compl- I think it's more complicated than either one of us want to make it. I tried to search for it quickly, and it's a to generate tsunamis. Earthquakes must occur underneath or near the ocean, be large, and create movements in the sea floor. Okay, so we knew that already. <laughs> what makes the water like go in and out? This is what we really want to. This is what we really care about most of all. <laughs> As do our listeners. Yes, they do. 
<laughs> All right. Well, this whatever I found is a it. terrible, terrible resource. All right. Well, let's keep moving. Somebody can look it up and <laughs> while I'm yapping on something, and then we'll come back to it later. Uh, let's see. We are officially, as of the posting of this podcast, one month away from the Joe Public Retreat. Uh, we're pretty full up. Uh, I think we have room for maybe one or two more folks to attend if they really want to. Uh, so let us know. You can go to JoePublicRetreat.com, uh, register right there. Uh, or it's possible that even as of the posting of this, uh, we've had a closed registration. But you'll know when you go to the website, uh, if it says closed, then it's closed. But uh, we're always <laughs> open to taking maybe one or two more. Uh, <coughs> but there's a limit. And Jackie's going to blow my eardrums out if she does that one more time. <laughs> I, hey, I can't help it. <laughs> You can't? I'm turning away from the mic. You are? Are you coughing yeah. out your ear then? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to turn my face away. Okay. Sorry. Okay. It's all right. I have sensitive ears. What can I say? <laughs> yes, you do. All right. And let's see. Is there any other announcements? I don't think there's anything right now. You have an upcoming speaking engagement we announced last time. Yeah, which is why I'm in San Diego. So ah. by the time you hear this, it's a moot point. But next time, I'll be able to report back and uh, let you know what kind of questions I got from the CFOs in the audience. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. But the Joe Public, that's always interesting. Okay, so let's see. Our first topic is something that it's actually triggered by uh, an interesting story we saw, but it's uh, a topic on healthcare marketing that we have addressed before, but it's been about a year. We went back and dug in on it. Uh, and that is the idea of uh, remarketing or retargeting or whatever you want to call it uh, when you're doing pay-per-click uh, or display advertising. And so uh, I think people probably who follow this podcast understand how it works. If uh, you visit a website and let's say you're visiting a website for the Joe Public Retreat. This will actually happen to you if you go there. Uh, we have pay-per-click advertising set up with retargeting. So if you go to the Joe Public website and then you leave and maybe later you're shopping for some clothes online or you, I mean, I've gotten, I've gotten emails from people, probably, I don't know, a half dozen from people sending me like screenshots of a either display ad or a pay-per-click ad promoting the Joe Public retreat in really weird places. Like, I had a client send me a screenshot of when she was searching for like an enchilada recipe and the show <laughs> public thing was there. And she's like, wow, you guys, what's with your, that's a really weird targeting. I'm like, oh, you've been retargeted. So basically it will follow you. You set up an ad. So it follows somebody who comes to your website. Um, or if you search for something, I believe it can happen that way too. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Adam. It's been a while since we talked about this. So if I searched on Google for enchilada recipe, uh, and for whatever reason we have an ad come up there, uh, that could follow you around too. It's not just tied to the website, is it? No, I feel foolish for not remembering. That's uh, I, that's a good question. I believe it's tied to, I believe primarily it's tied to that. I mean, it's tied, Google can tie it to probably any behavior, but I think right. it's primarily tied to the, to the visiting of that website. Much like if yeah. you were to go to, you know, if I were to go to Zappos and look at a pair of shoes and then on Facebook later, that exact same pair of shoes is in a corner, you know, an ad over on the right hand side. Or 
um, you know, I was on Amazon looking at a vacuum cleaner or something, and all of a sudden that thing is all over every damn news site I might visit. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, primarily it's based on the content of a page that you've visited at some point. But, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess that Google has some fairly complicated oh, yeah. algorithms that bake in quite a bit of other uh, background information about you, if whatever, you know, depending on what they have. Yeah, and there's, there is search retargeting. So you can target people who search for keywords. Um, there's all kinds of, you know, you can, tar- you can target, retarget people, uh, from emails, contextual engagement. I'm actually looking at a story we posted the last time we talked about this in the podcast, which was almost a year ago. So it's something that comes up occasionally. We get clients asking about us, uh, asking us about it. And in general, our perception or our perspective has always been, it's a, it's a, can be a fairly effective tool. So in other words, you know, th- think about what this does. This allows you to target somebody who's already shown interest in some way, either in you, meaning a hospital or health system, or something you do or subject related to you. So somebody who searches for um, joint pain uh, on, you know, in Google, you know that they have an issue with joint pain and you could potentially retarget that search so that you're targeting an ad specifically to somebody who's shown interest again in, in, in that topic or, or you. So in that way, it's, it's great because, uh, you're actually finding people that have some kind of interest instead of just blindly advertising and hoping people come across it. Right. So, it's great from that standpoint, from a marketer standpoint, but you've got to be careful with it. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't want, you know, there's a kind of a creepiness factor to it uh, where, you know, you may search for something and then, you know, two days later you see an ad for it. Uh, so it kind of follows you around. And, you know, if you're a sophisticated person with the internet, it probably doesn't bother you. And Adam, I think you've made the point before that, hey, I'd rather be targeted by ads that are relevant to me than non-relevant ads. So I'd rather, you know, if I am interested in a vacation in Hawaii, I'd rather start seeing ads about resorts in Hawaii than, you know, whatever, Viagra Mm -hmm. ads or even resorts in Europe, right? (laughs) So... Well, you might need need that in in, in, uh, Hawaii while you're there. You might. (laughs) (laughs) No, you. (laughs) So from that standpoint, you know... It just, I guess it kind of depends on your tolerance level. But obviously, it, it can be a bit much if you do too much mm-hmm. of it. And so we always kind of uh, caution people to be conservative with it, particularly given our industry uh, in healthcare. And that's where this has come up again because there was a story that I found on Twitter, and I can't remember who posted it, so I can't give them credit. But the story is actually from the Financial Post, and I have no idea what that is. I think it's in English. Uh, publication. But the story was titled, Google's Health Ads Run Afoul of Canadian Watchdog. So uh, Canada has different laws than us, obviously. And the concern is uh, that people are using retargeting for health issues. So in, mm-hmm. in, in the case that happened, a Canadian man found that after he scoured the web for information related to sne- sleep apnea, Google began re- began targeting the man with ads related to medical devices used to treat that condition. So that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, right. From a marketer standpoint, great. You're aiming it at somebody who's obviously interested. Um, but is there a privacy issue there? 
According to the Privacy Commissioner's Office, this is in Canada, because the information used to target the ads was health-related, it should have been considered sensitive and therefore should have been exempt from Google's main business model, selling and delivering ads based on online activity. So, um, but they admit that what constitutes sensitive is not always clear. Uh, Google actually is taking some steps uh, to kind of curb this in Canada. That story goes on and on about it. Um, and I think it's kind of an open question. I don't know what you guys think. I think my health is my private. I've always felt that way. It's my private deal. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want my hospital or my doctor sharing my information with people unless I give them permission to. But if you know, if I enter it in <clears throat> Google, do I really have an expectation that <laughs> it's private? Yeah. Do you know, that. at that point, am I not just basically publicizing w- what the problem is? I mean, at this in this day and age, I don't know. That It just seems like that's a, a higher expectation than one should probably have. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, Go well, ahead, Adam. You know, uh, well, Google's definitely taking steps for multiple reasons to make this data a little more uh, secure, you know, in, in their own interest. I mean, with the... With the um, Oh, the no, I'm forgetting the acronym for the company that for our big brother who's watching us constantly. Why? Why is this escaping the NSA? Uh, the, the NSA. Why? Why was that escaping me for a moment? Mm, They're making changes to their practices based on reactions to what the NSA has done because the you know the NSA has been uh, basically intercepting everything between Google servers and, and our computers um, for, for quite a while now. Yeah, which made Google furious, and um, you know, it's, Google hasn't come out and said that this is why they're encrypting searches now, which has led to the loss of um, some keyword data for those of us who use Google Analytics, um, something many people relied on before, uh, and is no longer <clears throat> being provided. It's in, it's, uh, in in part because Google is encrypting searches now. So, you know, there there are things that they're doing to kind of, I think, wipe their hands of some of the data that they store about what people are searching for. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily they're the bad guy in this case. You know, obviously they're a business. They need to make money. Um, uh, and like you said before, you know, when it comes to marketing, I, you know, my personal preference is to be marketed to based on, you know, my interest. So I, I like it if it's tailored a little bit. And I know that's not, but, but I have my, I have my own boundaries as well. You know, I don't want, mm-hmm. um, it's a little creepy <clears throat> when I might be searching for something for, uh, you know, the health of a child or something. And then all of a sudden stuff starts following you around online or, and it's like, well, you know, I don't really know that I want somebody else scouting me out that way. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a weird gray area. Um, we just have to figure out where to draw the line and kind of, I think, come to agreements <laughs> as consumers and as, you know, the providers of these resources as to, you know, what those lines are. And then just revisit them from time to time or continuously. I mean, maybe to your point, Chris, you just need to be careful about what you actually search for if you don't want to be retargeted with that stuff. Because, you know, some health-related issues, it might not be such a big deal. Like sleep apnea, I don't think that would be awful. Or I'm kind of more thinking in terms of, like, embarrassing things you might search. And then you're retargeted and Mm -hmm. if someone else was sharing your computer with you, like, let's say, for example, I, you know, was researching safe sex on Google and then you're like looking at your computer with your mom and it's like, oh, hi. (laughs) Not like she would know. (laughs) Not like she would necessarily know you're being retargeted, but that's the type of thing where it's like, okay, well, 
then it just prevents you from ever wanting to search that information. Yes. And that's that issue has come up before. We've read stories about that before. Um, what's interesting is I had to reread this article while you guys were talking a little bit because, um, you know, we were talking about this in the context of retargeting, meaning this guy searched for sleep apnea and then ads started following him around. But it takes mm-hmm. a while to get to that. And it made me, you know, stop and think, where do you draw the line at targeting? Right? I mean, so if you are not allowed to target people based on sensitive information, doesn't that also mean that Google can't provide responses? I mean, not just retargeting, but actual ads in the SERP, the search engine results page. I mean, I assume they're allowed to provide actual results. It's the advertising that's in question. (coughs) Um, But that's a huge distinction because if we're moving in this direction, uh, you know, it's one thing for our laws to change to limit or eliminate retargeting, which I think would would kind of stink a little bit, but not be the end of the world. Uh, but it would be quite another if our laws said, well, not only can you not retarget folks, Google, you can't have any advertising that targets these folks, including ads that show up on the response page. That would be, I think, really tragic. That's just my opinion, not just from a marketing standpoint, but also from a search value standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, people are there for the natural searches, but the ads are also provide information that people use. We know that because they click on them all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, but to me, the retargeting is a little more sketchy because I feel like the search results that pop up and the ads that pop up when you're searching, you're kind of in that moment. You're looking for that information at that point in time. But, you know, like a few days down the road, if you're kind of out of that mindset and you did, you know, search a topic that you really just don't care that pops up frequently on your web pages continually, you know, for embarrassing purposes or whatever, to me, that's just kind of a different situation. Yeah. I think it's a little. I agree with you, but I don't know suspect. that. I don't know that you know, the government or others would distinguish it. I mean, right. uh, this says that according to the pri- the privacy commissioner's office, because the information used to target the ads was health-related, it should have been considered sensitive and therefore should have been exempt from Google's main business model, selling and delivering ads based on online activity. So that, you know, assuming this article is written correctly, mm-hmm. that would include the original search result ads, not just retargeting. Because that is their main business model. It's not just retargeting. It's it's search ads as well. It fits right in there. So that's interesting. That distinction is is pretty important. Yeah, I agree. All right, we'll post a stuff. we'll post a link to this story. It's always interesting mm-hmm. to come visit this. And I think, as we've said before, this is an ongoing, ever changing uh, dynamic. <clears throat> and you know. It, based on you know all the stuff we've been talking about with the NSA i mean it's it's fascinating it's fascinating to me how okay people are with all of this particularly the government um and what they've been doing uh but i just wonder if it's a matter of time before there is a real backlash to the invasion of privacy that's been going on and that trickles mm-hmm. down to some of this stuff the business end of it uh, it would not surprise me within five years if if some of this is just completely outlawed from a from a health perspective, but I do think there is a dramatic difference if you're if you are volunteering that into volunteering it 
that information into Google, um, (laughs) then, you know, I can understand if the retargeting goes away, but if it eliminates, you know, the ability to provide ads back based on that, I don't know. That just seems off to me, but I'm a marketer. There's got to be some, there's got to be some mutual (laughs) benefit to, I mean, it's a a business. It's not like Google is a nonprofit who's out there, you know, doing good for the betterment of society. (laughs) I'm sure they, they claim, they claim to on many levels and they do on many levels. They do a lot of good things. Right. No, you're right. Um, uh, But you know, their core business is understanding consumers, what they're searching for and, you know, making a profit off of that. So, you know, we can't have, you know, we can't have nice things um, if, you know, the people who provide these nice things can't be profitable at it unless they just have big hearts and, um, you know, money trees in their backyards. Like me. Like Jack. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we will uh, post this story. We'll also go back to, uh, we'll reference the podcast we did about a year ago. So if people want to listen to that, we get, we went into a little more um, structured with you know more thoughts. We actually talked to some other people in the industry about it, uh, so you can revisit that too. So not much has changed, I think, other than uh, certainly the environment around privacy has changed since a year ago, given everything we've learned, and uh, just something you're going to have to continue to monitor. Okay, uh, let's see how are we doing on time. I lost track of time. That happens. Uh, we're about twenty. Two minutes in, we've got about eight minutes. Okay. So what's interesting Mm -hmm. to me is I'm using a new um, version of GarageBand for this, and it's all like metrics or something. Like (laughs) we're at 754.2 on my. What the hell does that mean? Do you have, oh, you you probably didn't change to the clock up on top. You're probably looking at like measures within music or some some other musical. How do I change it to the clock? We'll figure that out afterwards. A little (laughs) little technical, technical. Advice for our click, listeners. Click on the little clock next to the timer and or the little icons next to the timer up there and you can change it to time. Excellent. I'll do that. Mine's on measures too. It's not very helpful. You can do the same thing, Jackie. Okay. So the other thing we want to talk on real quick before we have kind of a funny thing to share is a story that uh, was in the Washington Post. And it says, mm-hmm. the title says, about 80% of hip doctors have no idea how much a hip replacement costs. Um I find that a little surprising and it's kind of funny when you hear how off they were. So they were basically asked 503 physicians at seven major academic medical centers, all orthopedic surgeons were asked to estimate the cost of a a device. They were, they came close. They came, they were correct only 21% of the time. Um, Their guesses ranged from 1.8% of the actual price to 24.6 times the actual price. (laughs) Okay, that that's that's more like surprising. that's like saying what's the price of a car that's thirty thousand dollars, and you say three thousand dollars, or you say six hundred thousand dollars. That's the range of yeah. difference. Yeah, but it's well, I no. I guess I'm I've, I I kind of have two. <laughs> a a do we a should should I mean especially in 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 in, in institutional organ big institutional you know medical centers. Uh, you know, are should we expect surgeons to know the costs of what they're doing, or should there be you know procedures and protocols that they follow on any given case? And and that's you know, 
I don't know. I don't want to go in and, and have them decide to give me the budget version of the back surgery I need because of the accident I was just involved in. I want to go in and know that I'm getting, you know, the best care because that's what they do. That's what, that's what the best care is for, you know, fixing my spine that was just borked in some serious car accident. I don't know. I feel I can, to me, it seems like they shouldn't be expected to know that that's on the, on the business end of it. You know, that's for the people in finance to figure out and whether they determine budgets that these departments work within or I, I don't know, but it just seems like these are the people who probably shouldn't be making decisions in many cases based on, you know, what's the most affordable way to do something, but instead based on what's the right or the best way to do something. Maybe not in all cases, but in extreme cases. Well, I suppose, I mean, I guess I don't want them necessarily making decisions based on cost and the way you're talking about, but I, I do think that they should have an idea of the tools they use and the cost to the people that are using them. I mean, if, if you, if you, if a device costs $12,000 and you think it might actually cost $290,000 or, you know, $120, Man, that's just like a complete ignorance of what you do. Right. I mean, that, that's a, that's mean a like dramatic. A, like a scanner? What's that? What do you mean a device? I mean, obviously, a physician is not going to go out and buy a Da Vinci robot. There's going to be steps to go through. No, to this is that. This was about or a device that's implanted <clears throat> in surgery. Oh, so yeah. Well, yeah. So that's what they're like talking that. about. So I think it's. I think right. you know the, the the range they give in there might be you know. To say that guesses range from one point eight percent to twenty four point six. Those might be just like really stupid doctors. Two of them, <laughs> <laughs> or one who right. just guessed completely ridiculous, or is just was trying to screw with the survey. I don't know. But if you honestly think a twelve thousand dollar piece of equipment is is only cost one hundred twenty, I think that says something about healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, you should have a clue, right? Right. That's what I mean. Be, you don't need. Yeah, you don't need to be. <laughs> right. Not you know, down to the dollar. Yeah. A CFO and a surgeon at the same time, you know, nobody should be expected that. And, and, you know, what I was saying earlier, certainly I don't expect people to be completely clueless. Um, Mm -hmm. I just don't expect a surgeon to be, you know, a CFO and also be a surgeon. Right. There's a funny post in here, which I, I just laugh out loud at. It's probably true, but it still makes me laugh. So the point of the article is really about how this is a this is another sign of what's wrong with our system is that the people the suppliers have no idea what the cost is to the consumer. And what you know, I don't know what the relevance really is to your point Adam and um but it it is a sign that this is just a screwy opaque system. So the the first comment in here says, consumers must ask the orthopedic surgeon, what is the brand model you're implanting? And get a UDI slash unique device identifier code. What is the warranty for this implanted product? What are the validated clinical live human studies of patient outcomes from this specific implanted device? (laughs) This is what people are supposed to ask? Yes, that's what this guy is wanting. um, What's funny is, you know, he goes on to say, so far the medical device industry has avoided accountability while gaining federal legal entitlements because of the ease of clearance by the FDA. If informed consent includes this information, clarifying the loss of basic civil rights of the harmed patient, there would be no reason to discuss cost. Who would purchase a car or toaster this way? 
That's what his point is. And I would go, about 70% of the people in this country. (laughs) (laughs) Honest to goodness, if people did what this guy, this logic, left brain, you know, rational model, if they followed it, it would be a completely different world. But they don't. You know, if people actually asked the right questions about purchasing a car, you could go to Consumer Reports, look at how they're rated for quality and safety, and pretty much say that's how you're going to line up with sales. But it's not. Right. It's not at all. Right. So that's why it, people continue to buy brand name drugs over right in the store off the shelf versus the generic alternative, which is exactly the same thing. It's not about making a rational or like financial based decision. It's about yes, you know your your perception of quality or your perception <coughs> of what you're supposed to buy or, or what makes you feel like you're getting you know the 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 right <coughs> medicine shoved down your gullet. Yeah, and and it's not that it shouldn't be that way. It's just you're you're wasting your time and, and your breath if if that's what you're striving for. It will never be that way. Humans aren't that way. And so if if you if your solution is basically we just need to get everybody asking these logical, rational questions, that's not going to solve the problem. Right. It's just not. Right. So I think that's kind of right. funny that. You know, how many people do you know that would ask those questions? And I can tell you that many doctors would not be able to answer any of that, for sure. If they can't know the price, how are they going to know all that stuff? Right. And there's all kinds of other things baked into this, too. I mean, and and half the, it seems like half of these things or more or all don't even have like some, like a flat fee you could reference with all the, you know, back behind the behind the scenes shenanigans to figuring out you know how, how like one you know insurance company is charged for something versus somebody else, even within the same you know a uh, plan. It's like who the hell knows what these things actually cost? I mean, I'm sure there is that you could you could you could do the math from the supply chain up to the getting it stuck into somebody, but costs for all these things vary like for person to person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the story makes a point of saying that. Um, Oh, I totally lost my train of thought. Damn it. Oh, that it that it varies. <laughs> to your point, Adam, even in the price that's negotiated. So it's not like uh, you know, a hip an uh uh what am I trying to say? A replacement hip or whatever uh costs ten thousand dollars. It it depends. It depends on how many you buy, who's selling it, who buys it. Every single hospital or system or organization makes individual deals. And the story talks about this, and I've heard it before, and signs a non-disclosure agreement with the manufacturer agreeing not to tell the price to anybody else, which allows the manufacturer to charge one group 10 grand, another group 20 grand, another group whatever. So it is kind of sketchy. Which speaks to why a lot of docs probably have no idea because, you know, who knows? Though, on the other hand, a lot of docs are incented to use a particular brand because they're paid by that manufacturer to speak, quote unquote, or to be part of clinical trials. Um, It's just a mess. We know that already. Let's talk about the devil, baby. Let's finish it up with the devil, baby. (laughs) I don't want to talk about this anymore. It makes me upset. Good segue. Yeah. Horrifying devil baby terrorizes New York City. I bet everybody's seen this video by now because it's got like 15 million hits on YouTube. What is it up to? Let me bring it up. Twenty. Well, it's at 24 million now. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Even, even the screenshot before you play the video is disturbing enough. <laughs> so this thing, Seriously. I was in tears. Yeah, I watched it like, got like two or three times yesterday, and every time I was just 
in tears. I was laughing so damn hard. Well, and I think so. It's what makes it funny is um, to me where I really started laughing is when it starts moving around. Like yeah, by itself. Yeah, like the, the cat, <laughs> the the carriage is moving around, knocking things Driving over. Things. Yeah. yeah, that's where it's kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should probably explain what it is. People so are- it's. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's a video that was created by let's see, there's an agency that does they do viral videos basically, and they're typically quite often successful. Think Moto, I think we've talked about them in the past. I can't remember what I feel show. Like we have too. Maybe a couple shows, but I know we've referenced stuff that these guys have done. So this is like a guerrilla marketing or kind of a viral marketing stunt for the movie Devils Do. Um, which is like a horror flick, it looks like. You see a little snippet of it at the very end of this video. Yeah, um, which, which is probably, again. in my opinion, because I hate movies like that. They freak the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> that's like the freakiest part of this whole video for me. So they make this video of, obviously the movie is about a, you know, a devil baby being born. So this is a, they wire up this uh, stroller with some kind of remote control device so they can, they can make it move around as if on its own free will or as if being controlled by the devil baby inside. Mm-hmm. And then they've got audio for this thing. So there's this little satanic looking, just possessed demon child laying in there. And it's got audio playing. So it's the blankets covering its head. And as people come up to this unmanned stroller to see to see what's going on with this baby crying, the thing like pops up <laughs> super fast and is like you know demon head and screaming at the person, and then so you see the reaction of all these people who are walking <laughs> up to be the good people. Samaritan and see what's wrong with the poor baby. <laughs> but seeing the reactions oh and the the stunned reactions, the jumping back, the the like. There's one guy who has like no reaction at all. He just kind of sits, keeps there, sits, right. and keeps staring at it. That's he's like the homeless guy. Yeah. Well, he's not yeah. homeless. He's got a broom in his hand. I think he's just cleaning. Yeah, it. I don't think he's homeless, Jack. <laughs> he sure looked homeless. Any, yeah. He had like a little cart uh, action nice. going behind him. Did he? Yeah, Maybe he was he cleaning up. Know. He was like a janitor. Let me find. I him. don't. I'm telling you, he has confirmed. like a broom in his hand. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> Anywho. Well, it, but, yeah, but, and at, at one point it's like vomiting, like exorcist type vomiting. Then towards the end, all of a sudden the thing is just driving around, running into things, people eating at like a barista outside and it's <laughs> knocking over their table. It's flipping the bird to an NYPD car. It's pretty funny. The whole thing is just quite it, amusing. I read a story. Oh, go ahead, Jackie. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it's, I, you know, to your guys' point, I think we brought up, like you wonder how much of it was staged and if these people actually kn- knew these people actually knew that that was happening or not the reactions seem like they didn't but if that was me i mean i'd be so freaked out i'd well, probably the, punch the thing in the face and throw uh, the stroller. i was gonna say the article i read an article in business week about them um and they talk about how in most of the times they do this because that's all they do they create viral videos and mm-hmm. a lot of times they're scary or whatever and they kind of give their tips for how to be successful with this. And one of them is oh. avoid lawsuits because that's happened before. Like there was, and maybe it was this group, but there was a group a couple of years ago that did something around Boston, like put little boxes around and people thought it was terrorism oh, yeah, and it that. became this big giant problem. Um, and so oh, yeah. one of their that. tips is like, mm-hmm. you got to make sure that you're not doing something illegal that you're not going to cause people harm. He's like, the last mm-hmm. thing we want is a heart attack, which you could get from exactly what we see on that video. Right. And so they say a lot of times they do get people, they give them a, they get them to sign a release beforehand. They may not tell them like, 
all right, here's what's going to happen. But they may say, hey, we're doing this video. All we want you to do is go up to that carriage and see what's in there. Um, right. So that there's a little preparation for it. Uh, because I don't know in that video how you don't prepare people and not risk a heart attack. Right. Or (laughs) whatever. I mean, people swear and whatever, but Mm -hmm. so that was interesting. The other thing I thought was interesting about what they said was they don't really care about YouTube hits. They're really, their goal isn't online viral, um, kind of quantity. Their goal is to get on TV. Their goal is to to make something that's yeah, so cool that it's on uh, the Today Show or Good Morning America yeah, it was. or CNN. It was yesterday. Yeah, and it's been all over. It's been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, if it gets on there, that's when it's successful. That's when you know millions of people see it. They see it in the right context. A lot of times, <clears throat> those two people or or one or the other are invited to talk about it. Um, so they're really after kind of old school PR with, and I'm sure they're fine with the YouTube hits. Um, but, but that was an interesting, kind of an interesting insight they gave is that that's the real measure of success is when they get it on a national show. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, And and this was even in the article that you sent Adam was in time. Oh, maybe that's where I read it. That covered in time. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. So yeah, yeah, success. Funny stuff. Kind of funny, kind of disturbing. I don't know if I'd classify it as just strictly <laughs> funny and hilarious. But well, it's, judge, it's, judge for it's disturbing nature is what makes it funny. I mean, it's not like I said. The movie itself would freak me out, but this is this I found to be pretty entertaining. Yeah, ironically enough, it like actually makes me want to avoid the movie more <laughs> after seeing the little sneak preview at the end and. But yeah. very creative. All right, cool. Should we drop it off there? Yep. We're busting at the Let's seams time wise. Drop Sounds it like good. it's hot. We're all the way up to one thousand two hundred thirty-eight point one <laughs> measures. <laughs> I don't think we've gone that long in a while. Our last oh. few shows have been are on the forty-minute mark, I think. So we're we're on par. Wow. We're all just right. Yeah, we do. We love it. We love that you join us. Thanks for hanging in there to the end. You're in the finishers club, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. For Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Pastors, this is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Olson. And Adam Meyer. Good job by you guys.